Welcome to the B2B Mix Show with Elena and Stacy. Each week, we'll bring you ideas that you can implement in your own marketing strategy. We'll share what we know and advice from industry experts who will join us from time to time here on the show. Are you ready to mix it up? Let's get started. Hi, everyone. I'm Stacy Jackson. And I'm Elena Jackson, and we are the co-founders of Jackson Marketing. And in case you still haven't heard, we are also sisters. We're bringing you episode 32 of the B2B Mix Show. Stacey, what's today's topic? Today, we're going to talk about something that a lot more marketers and companies in general should start paying attention to. It's about how well does your company's employee LinkedIn presence reflect on themselves as thought leaders in your company and your company brand. No doubt you've already got a few superstar social sellers in your ranks and some social savvy execs, but just imagine if every one of your customer-facing employees had profiles that help them and your brand shine. Today's guest, Mike Orr, co-founder of Grapevine 6, is going to share his thoughts on where marketers can empower those employees while also driving more brand-related social engagements on LinkedIn. Elena, why don't you introduce Mike to our listeners? I would be honored. Mike Orr is co-founded Grapevine 6 with four longtime friends to make content valuable to sales. They developed the G6 mobile app and content engagement platform that applies AI to accelerate sales and marketing effort. Mike applied design thinking to develop an app that delivers relevant content for business professionals in an easy-to-use experience. Before launching Grapevine 6... Mike worked with the team that would eventually found Grapevine 6 to create a MarTech startup that was acquired by Kundari. I think is how you say it. If not, you can correct me, Mike. And then as the strategic leader of Kundari's digital team, Mike won a number of global awards, including two Can Lions and a Fast Company Innovation by Design Award and the best of the best in the world from MAAW, which is Marketing Agencies Association Worldwide. Mike earned a Bachelor of Science from the University of Waterloo and an MBA from the University of Toronto Rotman School of Management. Mike, thank you so much for joining us on the B2B Mix Show. We're excited to have you. Thanks for having me. So, Mike, before we start talking about the topic at hand, would you like to provide any background information to our listeners about Grapevine 6 and what you all do there? Sure. You kind of covered it in the introduction, but we all worked after our first company got acquired. We all worked for one of Canada's leading marketing agencies. And when we were working there, we saw how brands had changed the ways that they engaged with their audiences. And that was around the time that content marketing became a hot topic. And really, it was about providing value to your audience, to your buyers before asking for anything. And we felt that that could translate to the sales function as well. But the challenge was going to be, how do you do that at scale? How do you take that same approach to communicating value through content and then distribute it to thousands of salespeople and make them individually relevant. And so that's where we started Grapevine 6 and leveraged a lot of the technology and AI that was happening at the time to build relevance at scale. And that's what we do. We distribute an app that allows you to have access to relevant content for your buyers and your audience and build your personal brand really as a thought leader. Okay. So let's dig right into it. So selling, especially with complex or high dollar B2B deals, requires rapport and trust, right? So LinkedIn profiles are now playing a pretty big significant role in that whole building of trust and a terrific profile signals that, hey, I, can, I think I can trust this person and his or her company. 
but a bad or poorly maintained profile is going to be at best leave no impression or maybe it leaves a terrible impression. So that's not good. So with more and more decision makers checking out companies and employee profiles, it seems like it's kind of time for brands to think beyond just the corporate profile. So what are some of the top ways that marketers can kind of help customer-facing employees and leaders improve their LinkedIn presence to help build that credibility in their personal brands? Sure. The yeah, the marketing function I think really needs to first accept that they don't own the full brand experience anymore. That in digital, they are and your buyers are checking out the salespeople they're working with, the account executives, your, even your customers' support teams, whoever those buyer-facing employees are. So that it needs to be a service mindset. What we've seen a lot of the time in brand marketing is that their initial take on social is that, hey, I've got a whole another channel I can push my content, my brand out through and drive more website visits or whatever that content consumption is. And really, that's this sort of idea of amplification or advocacy is a little backwards because when you approach social on the B2B side, it should be that the brand, the corporate brand supports, supports the personal brand of the individuals that are facing the customers because Ultimately, people are buying from people. They're not buying from companies, especially in those complex, big B2B deals. So that's the first thing to kind of a mindset shift maybe from the last few years that we've seen and had to sometimes wrestle with is that in this case, marketing is really going to support and enable their salespeople rather than use them as a channel to distribute their content. But content still plays an important role. And the way that shift really happens is that if you think about a personal brand on LinkedIn, it's there's really two parts to it. One is a static part, which is your profile. And marketing certainly can help with communication and, and the writing of that. We've seen a lot of effort put into initiating these programs where they'll have editorial teams or internal writers work with those, especially the executives, the leadership teams to optimize their LinkedIn profile and really write it from a customer point of view. So that's sort of step one to establishing that baseline of a really engaging profile, which would be you know the same in an analog way of designing a really effective and memorable business card. Now you have to have an ongoing conversation. So it's the sales cycles are taking longer. There's more touch points. It won't be that they just sort of check out your LinkedIn profile and, and walk away. That'll be the opening conversation. And so once you've connected with those people, marketing needs to support the continued and ongoing conversation and building up of that brand relationship at the employee level. So they, they need to feed in their own content for those salespeople and executives to continuously have a presence on social and be in front of their buyers. The one thing that we've seen is that, again, coming back to that marketing coming from a brand point of view, that they'll only produce and, and pass on their own content. So it's only first-party content that's authored and created by the marketing team. But that doesn't create an authentic profile and drive any real engagement when you're out down at the salesperson level. They want to share third-party content that's relevant to their buyers to really build up their reputation and that trust as somebody that's in the know, that is a thought leader potentially if they're adding their own commentary, but at least is on the is very current on what's happening in their industry. And is that somebody that I can trust because they're not ignoring, they're actually paying quite a bit of attention to what's going on with their competitors and with the industry and where our market is going. So there's those two elements that 
you have to serve both of them to be in a, build an effective program. Where do you think that the biggest, I don't know if the words disconnect or issues are when it comes to customer facing employees and their LinkedIn presence? Do you think it's, I guess it all starts with, is the profile set up to be a, a resume or a personal brand builder? And also, are they actively engaging? Do they know how to engage? Where do you think the biggest problems come into play when it comes to those customer facing LinkedIn profiles? Sure. I think the market generally is past the idea of LinkedIn or any of those social networks that you're using for for sales to be just a resume and a place to go find your next job, which actually is a sales process unto itself. You need to think about it a little bit shifted of what can I do for you in my current role rather than what can I do for you in the next role that you want to give me. I think the biggest challenge is that they don't know what the best practices are around engaging with other people's content and being able to produce their own content. And they either they think there's a bunch of risk involved in that. In some cases, you know, you may have a bunch of regulatory compliance that you need to deal with. But even on the brand side, not knowing what to say is partly not wanting to say the wrong thing. The other thing that we've run into in, in the, some of the bigger programs has been, you know, you can get through that process of building the LinkedIn profile and have everyone understand how to use the tools. But when they get there, they just don't know what to talk about. And that's really the biggest gap is they don't engage because they don't start putting their own presence out there and and trying to go out and engage their audience. And that's where you need programs that really support those people through training and technology to make it a habit to engage continuously in social networks, because that's where you're going to get the real value at the end. Do you think that someone should have an outside party add feedback to helping develop the LinkedIn profile to say maybe a someone that would be a potential customer or someone that is a customer to say, hey, if you came to my LinkedIn profile, would I be someone you would work with? For sure. Yeah. There's a woman that we work with, I think it, that told me this. Her name's Leslie Hughes. She said that, I think it was her that told me, you should have a peer review your profile. You should have a customer review your profile. And you should have your spouse or someone in your family <laughs> review your profile because you do want to be able to make sure that it's authentic. I think that's the most important thing is that it is authentically you at the end of the day. It's not your company. It's not just the standard marketing copy because that's not how people build trust. They build trust with authentic people that they can recognize on the other side. And then also you want it to be written in the your audience's language, right? So being able to put it in front of a customer existing or prospect and get feedback on does this actually you know address your needs that's the most important thing you're trying to serve it needs to be based on your capabilities but it needs to be written in the language that addresses their specific needs yeah and that's what i was kind of thinking because a lot of times we think that we write something that sounds really great and we get it on our own side but maybe our prospective clients would look at it and be like well, you know, uh, maybe you're speaking two different languages because the people you're needing to reach are talking one way, but you're speaking in a different way. So I think it, I, I agree with you that it's definitely good to have other people kind of look at that and give you some input. When you have a company that started by engineers, it took every single conversation that we had where we would talk to anybody that was in marketing to say, stop talking about your product, stop talking about yourself, start talking <laughs> about what you're doing for your customers. What are the outcomes? But why we what love our products? <laughs> exactly. It's, it's you keep falling. Keep everyone keeps falling into that trap because 
that's what you know. But even in you know, even when you're out trying to find a job, really, what you should be doing is trying to solve your potential employer's problems, and that's the way you should position your messaging. It's just unnatural, somewhat. So you have to work at it, and that's it's hard. Hey, folks, let's take a break to hear about today's sponsor. And we are back. So when it comes to how marketers can get involved and maybe they need to obviously change their mindset from just talking at the brand level, what are some best practices to help them put together? I don't know if we call it a, an employee advocacy program or social selling. What should they be doing? What types of guidance should they provide? What would a best practice program look like? We just actually ran an event with a bunch of our clients to get some feedback into what are the practices that are, are working well for them and have them sort of knowledge share amongst themselves. And I think taking those kind of opportunities is, is a great way to learn what is effective in different situations and different types of companies because one size doesn't fit all. But a lot of what really works is to work with that sales group as a partnership to enable a, a social selling or a digital selling program. I don't really like calling things advocacy because I feel that it does have that connotation in history now that it's it's much more about you know getting more impressions on the brand content than it is about building the brand of the employee, which I think should be the objective of you know a mature program. But once you establish that partnership, then you can develop the empathy that understands how, how does this person need to engage with their buyers? What who, roles are they trying to influence and how are they trying to get in front of them? And then you can work to design the training that speaks to them. So much in the same way, they're trying to speak to their audience and marketing is trying to speak to the buyers. They need to craft their communications in a way that speaks to the motivations of those employees. And, and that's why marketing is great at it because that's what their expertise is. is they, they can identify, here's the needs of my salespeople and here's the language that makes sense for them. I can craft the communications of here's what the benefits are, the best practices, and then continuously reinforce that. So a couple of ways that our, our clients do that is to have a regular support call or a webinar that they invite leaders that are, are doing well in either employees or executives or the salespeople, the ones that have really embraced this and the early adopters to really use them to coach their peers. One of our biggest clients is SAP, and they built their program by training sales executives in the field across the world. So rather than trying to scale it up through training a specific training team, they actually made sure they had expert resources embedded in each of the geographies that they cover. I think it's up to like 200 different people. And they make sure that they get the most current training and the they bring them in for certain events and have a direct line. And so those are the way, that's the way you can scale the program is you have these experts you've developed that can cover a region or a group or a team. And if that team has questions, they don't have to come back to the one person or half person that marketing is allocated to run this program. They have peers that they can go to for those best practices. Yeah, I think sometimes having peers and mentors really makes a difference because sometimes a training program, while you get a lot out of it, it's like you're there, you get it, and then you are done. But having that ongoing relationship with someone who is a mentor or a coach to help you really put it into action, I think can sometimes speak volumes and really take them to the next level. Do you see that as something that really 
pushes it and pushes someone to take that next step and move up? For sure. What you're trying to do is build and establish new habits and habits take time to form. And it's not just attending a training session that all of a sudden, you know, you're going to have the continuous actions that are really going to make a difference when in social in the long run. The fact that you you know, share a piece of content or you rewrite your profile is not going to close a deal. A deal is going to take you know, 30 to 60 steps. Some of those are going to be in social. And if you don't build that habit and reinforce that habit through really you know, looking at your peers and understanding what they're doing and being constantly reminded, you're not going to follow through, right? That habit's not going to get ingrained and you're going to lose out in the long run. So you can't keep running. You can't keep bringing these people in to run training every month because they have to spend time actually selling and doing the work. Right. And so that's a good way to, and some people will communicate, you know, how people are doing in their groups as a way to motivate and remind. You can give them an idea of how they're doing, collect like what are the benchmarks and those are ways to nudge that behavior and keep them engaged in the program because like a lot of things you do in sales, it's not the one thing, it's the collection of things, right? That builds trust. And sometimes it's the one thing that you do that can lose trust, but to build it certainly takes a series of actions that you're going to take. And, and that's why those habits are so important. What KPIs would you recommend that marketers and salespeople should be tracking to understand if their social selling program is having an impact. Obviously, more leads and sales, but are there other things that you would recommend monitoring? For sure. There's there's a lot of leading indicators in, in social and digital selling that ultimately translate into those sales. And one of the things that in all sort of digital and, and sales behaviors, everyone always wrestles with is attribution of if you had 30 different touch points with a customer, which one made the difference. And so we look at some of the indicators from the networks themselves. So if you're using LinkedIn Sales Navigator, you can track your social selling index. You can actually individually track it. But if your company is using LinkedIn Sales Navigator, they can aggregate those metrics and see an impact on the social selling index over time. The activity, so sharing continuously over time driving engagement with those shares. So are people actually reading the things that you're posting? Those are important metrics to sort of calibrate the program, identify the leaders, and then the training opportunities as well. So who are the people that we want to model and how do we get to the people that need to change those behaviors still? We do find that much like a lot of programs, again, that attribution is really challenging. So some of the anecdotal, some of the stories that salespeople have around some of their contacts, not even knowing that they were in this business that found out about it because of social and reached out. Maybe they reached out in person or made a phone call because you're already connected, but then asked about the opportunity and referenced you know, that your activity in social and guiding them to understanding this is what you actually did. Those stories are great to model behavior as well. So much in the same way that we we're now selling using stories, you're selling this program, you want to use those stories and collect them as well. Finally, I'd say the other metric that's really interesting for marketers is to have a view and, and understanding of what type of content is being shared and what's driving engagement to whatever degree you can. So with our platform, you can see what sources of third-party content are most engaging, what topics are most engaging, and you can actually redirect your editorial and the content that you're creating 
to the most effective and engaging topics that your salespeople are actually sharing with their buyers. And so that's a, a great way to close the feedback loop and actually improve the quality of your marketing based on your new knowledge that's gained from your social selling program. Let me run into the next thing that I was going to ask you because a minute ago, we talked about how some people get stuck on just talking about themselves. And so the best mix of content is going to be a, that's it, a mix. It's going to be curated plus your branded content. But is there a certain level that you should be looking at, like 80-20, 70-30, so that people feel like they're doing the right mix and not oversaturating on, say, their brand? For sure. You know, it's, I think it's a little bit subjective, but generally the point of view is you want to be authentic, right? So you want to embrace or represent your personal brand. And some people will be all about their job, the company that they work for, and that's a big part of their brand. And so they're going to talk about everything that their company does. For most people, they you know have more to themselves than just their company, or they're really engaged in what's happening in the industry or their clients' industries. And that's going to dominate. And we usually see that our clients are recommending a guideline around you know 80% is other people's content and 20% is your content. So you're, you want to share third-party content. You want to go engage with other people's content, whether you're sharing it or just commenting on it. And then you know, some of your personal brand is going to be the company that you work for and the, and the work that you do. And hopefully you really enjoy it and you're going to want to share that as well. But we've actually seen some customers go from where they're recommending a high amount of brand content and a small amount of third-party content and not having a lot of engagement when people are sharing that content to flipping the, the sort of ratio and sharing a lot more third-party content and actually drive even more engagement on their own content when it's not every single thing that they're talking about or the majority. Mm -hmm. So even when you're sharing it to a less a lower degree, you'll actually drive more engagement overall because now it feels like it's authentic and it makes sense that you've handpicked right. this piece to share. It's not just I've shared everything my company ever produced and that's all I ever talk about. And how often should somebody share just a thought or they've had this experience and want to kind of engage the audience and say, you know, how do you deal with this on your end? Or is it where they're not sharing a link to an article or something like that? It's just truly just their thoughts in a post. How often should people be doing that? I think it, it goes to your personality again. So I know some people that do, you know, training and that create a lot of, distill a lot of insights from practices or research that they've done. And they're just naturally good at engaging their networks. So almost everything they do, even if it's sharing third-party content or a link or an article or something, they're always prompting for that engagement and conversation. Right. But that, again, is somewhere you, you want to aspire to be. I think one of the challenges that we've seen in any of these sort of content initiatives is that it's, it's a lot of work. And so you have, for example, we work with a lot of financial advisors where you know, some of them decided, hey, we're, we're going to all write a blog post every week. And that was a great idea, a great way to engage their audience. And then they've, they haven't written a blog post in four years. They wrote three and that was it. And some of them, they're, they're on top of it, but that's the exception. So you want to set the bar to a certain you know, achievable level and then just keep moving it up slowly rather than you know, trying to get everyone to, to be the, the power user or super user, I think, in social. Right. And you mentioned it's a lot of work. So do you have like tips that can help people kind of develop their presence without spending 
without that becoming their job. You know, like maybe there's 10 to 15 minutes a day of things that they should be doing to kind of gradually get to that point. Or do they need to spend a lot of time up front and then it goes to a 10 to 15 minutes a day? Is there, are there tips or strategy that you would recommend? For sure. I, I would say that one of the, for me anyways, mobile is a really important part of social. So it allows for the in-between times. So finding the you know, 10, 15 minutes, it could be in three minute increments that you spread out through the day of you're waiting in line. If you don't, you know, you don't necessarily want to check your email every single time, you can take a quick look on, on social and see what the current activity is that you want to engage with. And that's an easy way to, to go out and engage with a few people's posts, drive a bit of interest. And, you know, somebody uses a scheduling tool like ours that, that finds content and helps you post it is a really effective way to just to, to reduce the time and discovery is, is our big objective because it's the challenge in sharing content is that it takes a lot of work to find it. So if the content can just find you, that makes that part easier. And then I would say that be selective on, on where you spend, you know, the most time. So it may be that you're doing a very light engagement. You're just liking or you know, sharing something that you've seen. It may be that you recognize this is shared by a prospect and you want to actually, or it's a very, you know, something that you know something a bit more about. You're going to spend the time to read the content, think about it, write a relevant comment. You don't have to do that every time. So don't get overwhelmed. Start building those habits that, that you can actually keep and reinforce. And I find, you know, the mobile thing helps out a lot in that. And then, you know, having a, a couple of tools that can help you schedule your presence so that you you know are, are always on even when you're not. So I have a question for you about have you noticed that organizations that do want to embrace this kind of content and helping reps build their personal brand have marketers or other leaders ever tried to take too much control or inject too much into the salespeople's or other customer facing people's profiles and how can you kind of protect your profile from that? Yeah, it's, it can be tricky. Some of it's necessary for regulatory reasons. So if you're selling, you know, financial instruments or something like that, there's certain must do's in policy. Usually what we've seen is, is much more of an opt-in policy. So you don't require them to, to participate. You set out a, a clear policy and you go sell it. And you say, okay, let's start with a group of people that are engaged, prove the value and the, understand the practices that actually work. And then we'll cascade that down. It will take work. It's, it's not, I haven't seen it really forced on, on any group of people. And usually you can't even because one of the big things that brands don't always recognize and companies don't always recognize is that the social property, your identity is, is your own property. It's not the company's property. And you have to treat it that way. You have to get their permission to help them. But I mean, you go into any sales organization and if they're not spending half their day on LinkedIn, they're not going to be around much longer. So I think that the sales organization right. is there. They want the help. They want you know be able to opt in. And, they'll, and if they don't, it's because you're not designing the program right. So you're overstepping and mm -hmm. trying to you know, force them to do something they're not, they don't want to do. I think a lot of organizations, I remember talking to one five years ago that said, like, why do I want these people to spend more time on LinkedIn when, you know, they're, they're spending half their day there already? <laughs> like, 
salespeople will do occasionally things that aren't driving you know value in the end. But if they're spending half their day there, then they're definitely doing it for a purpose. Yeah, there's a good reason. They're better. There's going to be revenue right. attached to that at some point. So. Yes, you do want to encourage those behaviors. And we have one last question for you. It's, it's kind of a fun one, so don't get too worried about it. If you weren't at Grapevine 6, what would your dream pursuit or career be? That is a good one. I'm sure there's, there's a lot of them out there that I could pursue. One of the really cool things that I got a chance to work on while I was at the agency, you mentioned the design thinking. Was I, I learned that at business school. I did some practical applications of that. But one of the really cool things that we got to do was to work with one of the researchers at the Hospital for Sick Children here in Toronto, who was building an app for kids with cancer to track their pain and collect sort of data and information mm. on what the pattern of that pain looked like and ultimately created uh, intervention recommendations. And we took that idea, which was very sort of basic pain diary, and built a game out of it and a real story. And we had actors volunteer to shoot little videos as the kids were in, enrolled in the pain squad and collected clues on the way to solving pain. They would get promoted and, and see a video of uh, somebody, one of the you know sergeants congratulating them as they moved up the line. And they, they went from a, a sort of 60% compliance rate up to over 95 because the kids were, were really wow. engaged in it. And I think even even though it's it's a, a very challenging kind of environment to work in, it's tremendously rewarding. I think there are a lot of opportunities for that applying to a slightly different approach and thinking to, especially in, in healthcare, some of those problems, mm -hmm. which would be really fun to spend some time in and see what kind of change we can make. Yeah, because like you're saying, yeah, that would yeah be cool. I love that you made it more into interactive for the kids and in more of a game than thinking about the pain that they were going through. And I, th I think you hit it on the right on the head with that's how we need to look at a lot of things and make it focus on something else so that we're not thinking about that bad part of it. That's right. That's right. And give a purpose, right? What's the, what's mm -hmm. the tie to, there's a, a woman researcher named Jane McGonigal. She wrote a book called Reality is Broken. And her, her thing was that games are going to change the world because they were these epic stories where some everyone was part of something bigger than themselves and they were contributing even when they were you know just part, trying to complete a, a task or a process or something like that and so in this right. case even though they were sort of recording their own experience collecting those experiences could change the outcome for a whole whole bunch of kids so that was the mm -hmm. intrinsic kind of motivation to, to complete it and then you could tie it in to a story idea that made it more fun and it did distract them and, you know, kind of when they weren't feeling really good, it was a bit of fun in the day. Yeah, that's just so cool. Yeah. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your insights with our listeners. If there's any listener that would like to connect with you online, what's the best way for them to reach out? So I'm on social media, mainly LinkedIn, and you can reach out directly there. And I'm also on Twitter at MikeOr8, but LinkedIn, you'll find me, MikeOr Grapevine6. And we'll include that in the show notes. Great. And if you want to get in touch with me or Stacy, you can hit us up on social on Twitter. You can find Stacy at Stacy underscore Jax. That's S-T-A-C-Y underscore J-A-X. And you can find me on Twitter at Elena underscore Jax. That's A-L-A-N-N-A underscore J-A-X. And if you're not a Twitter fan, you can always look us up on LinkedIn at Stacy Jackson or Elena Jackson. And don't forget, you can leave us a voicemail on the Anchor mobile app or on our show page on Anchor. 
Have a great week, guys. The B2B Mix Show is hosted by Stacey Jackson and Elena Jackson of, you guessed it, Jackson Marketing. If you need help with your B2B inbound marketing efforts, visit us at jacksonmarketingservices.com.